0: good morning and Bokerto welcome back to Parsha perspectives for today in a Seris Yemei chuva edition as we have the privilege of learning and studying together parsha hazinu we don't often have that opportunity because when Shavahuva falls out and had the Yamatovim fall out but this year we do Parsha Hazinu appears in the Artscroll stone Chumash on page 1100, 1100, I want to thank our generous sponsors of the Parshah Series for the year, our dear friends Becky and Avi Katz, in loving memory of Becky's father, David Grossman, Le'ilu nishmas David ben Menachem, Manish. If you'd like to sponsor a future episode, a future shear, please go to brsonline.org slash sponsor, brsonline.org slash sponsor to sponsor a in honor in memory of someone. Thank you so much for your partnership and, your for, and for your support. Hazinu wa shamayim v'sishmah haaretz Imrifi. According to many of the Rishonim, according to many of the Meforshim, at the end of last week's parsha, at the end of Vayelach, when the Torah obligates us in the final commandment of the Tariag, of the obligation, the commandment, to write for ourselves the Shira, what is the Shira that the Torah is referring to? According to many, it is Hazinu. what we have to write, what has to be in our mouths, what we has to be at our fingertips, what we have to be familiar with, the song that we're meant to be singing, is the song of Ha'azinu. Beautiful poetry, a beautiful song. There are many highs, there are some moments that are lows. There are criticisms of Klal Yisrael. We became fat, we abandoned God. we were distracted, we were dispersed to Kaddish Baruch Hu had to hold us accountable, and ultimately we came back. But really it's a beautiful, beautiful song, Ha'azinu, and it's written uh, in uh, a certain uh, format of two columns. There's a whole uh, Torah on that which we're not going to discuss for now. Hazinu give ear o heavens and I will speak and may the earth hear the words of your mouth tishmaha imrifi. What does that mean? Hazinu listen heaven va'daberah says Moshe says Ribon shel ma speak is tishmaha aretz and then the land the earth will hear imrifi what I say with my mouth. So the Kotsker we've been learning this new sefer Mesivah Amuna, a collection of the teachings of the Rebbe of Kotsk, the Helic of Rebbe Menachem Mendel of Kotsk. So the Kotsker says, Haazinu HaShamayim Farnamt which is the Yiddish, translates to Haazinu <speaking in> HaAzana <Hebrew> You should listen with a heavenly sense of listening. There are two types of listening. We can listen with an earthly, material, physical listening, or we can listen with a heavenly listening. We can listen with a higher sense of listening. We can listen with our best selves, we could listen with less than our best selves. We can listen with the spiritual ambition within us, or we could listen with the animal instinct and impulse within us. The Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu, is calling upon us that we should listen with the best part of ourselves, not the lowly animal material part of ourselves, but we should direct, extend the antenna of the best part of ourselves, of the spiritual part of ourselves. And he continues in the footnote of the Sefer, he quotes from the Lev Simcha, B'Shem Rebbe Mekotzk, for Nam Timeldek, Hazin was Shamayim Tishma Arts and Mefi, Kiddi Isab Rim, the Chidusha Rim was says on the Possach, Hashamayim Shamayim Lashem Varslus on Adam. We read in Halal from Tehilim Koftez Vav Hashamayim Shamayim Lashem, the heavens belong to God Varslus Levnei Adam, and the earth God gave to man, Lasos Gam Haaret Shamayim. Says the Chidush Sharim, says the Ger Rebbe. What does it mean, Hashemayim Shamayim Lashem, that the heavens are for God and the earth He gave to man? It means Hashemayim Shamayim Lashem, the Ars, the son of Ne'adam. Read it. Our mission is to transform earth into heaven, to create heaven on earth. And that's what the Pshat is. The Kutz Gareb is drawing on the Chidush Sharim. Chidush Sharim, Hashemayim Shamayim Lashem, the Ars, the son of Ne'adam. God gave earth to man. To make earth into heaven, and that's Hazin Rosh Hashanayim Yomem Elu Yomem Gedolim This is a very holy time, a heavenly time. Adam Koach Al Hashana. We find ourselves in Hatzavus and These are the ten days in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Seven days in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. We are very focused. We are in a period of self-reflection, of introspection. We are in a period of pledging and promising to be our best selves of trying to get ourselves on the trajectory of our best year yet. And how do we do that? Himmel is a very heavenly, a very holy time of the year. How do we do that? We could be Makabal omach huishamayim that will carry us the whole year. We could submit and surrender to the yoke of heaven, to the dominion, to the providence of the Ribon Shalom. And how do we do that? By not indulging our animal self, not giving into our material, physical pleasure, but rather seeking our spiritual. <laughs> the human being is made up with heaven and earth. The human being has animal and God within us. Speak to the godly soul, not the animal impulse. Stretch and strive for the heavens, don't face down and be drawn to the earth. That is our that is our mission, that is our mandate. Hazinu Hashemaim, speak to the Shemayim in the person. This is quoted in many Rebbe's names, but here from the Amuna we see it from the Kotzke Rebbe. That Hazinu Hashemaim. just like the Chidush Arim, Shamayim Shemaim Lashem, Varat, Hassan of the earth was given to man to turn the earth into Shamayim here on Arat, here on Earth. Shemaim, Shamayim Lashem. pazig Beis. Yarov kamatar tizal katal imrasi. May the teaching drop like rain. May my utterances be like dew. Like the storm winds upon vegetation and rain drops upon blades of grass. Hazino is complicated Hebrew. It's Hebrew poetry. Not simple to have an understanding. It makes reading the commentators even more important, even more significant. So here the Kutzker has a comment too. Yarov kamatar Why is Torah likened to dew? Why is Torah compared to the rain? Why is Torah compared to the rain? So the Kotzker says, Just like the rain or the dew, the benefit is not obvious immediately when it falls. When the sun comes out and the sun shines and the sun provides its sunlight and its rays, it the earth, which became moist, the earth which was nurtured through the rain needs the sunlight in order for the seed inside to blossom. So similarly, Torah is likened to the rain. Just like the rain softens the ground and makes it fertile soil, but the person has to be able to make the decision. The person has to make that effort. The same is true when it comes to when it comes to Torah. Torah softens our heart. Torah makes us fertile ground for spiritual growth, but ultimately it's inside us. We have to make that decision. We have to, we spoke about on Shabbat Shuvah, how we can change our habits, how we can take ownership over our lives, how we can become determined to be able to forge the right path and become the right momentum and forge the right habits. So Torah can soften the ground. Torah can create the environment. However, we have to be the ones who take the ownership we have to be the ones who make the decision. We have to be the ones who are all in. Rav Yeruchim said the same thing, the great Mashkiach, Rav Yeruchim, that rain dampens the soil, creates the fertile environment, and the seeds planted, but the growth of the plant comes from inside the seed. And similarly, Torah is likened to rain. It softens the ground, but the growth comes from within ourselves. From within ourselves. We have to be driven. We have to be committed. We have to persevere. We have to fight through. We have to make that decision to finally become the people that we were meant to be. Kotzker says this in other ways as well. Kotzker says, we've said this in Sitter Snippets recently, in Shema we say that we learn Torah and we place it on our heart. Why not Bilvavecha? Why don't we place the Torah in our heart? Why are we placing the Torah on our heart? So the Kotzker Rebbe says sometimes our heart is closed our heart has a hard shell, our heart is hardened, it's not open, it's not receiving a message, our heart is not tender, it's not soft, it's not looking to change. Nevertheless, our job is to put the Torah al Even when we can't put it bil even when it won't penetrate, even when we can't insert it into the heart, we place it al on the heart. Because at some point in our life, something will happen, who knows what you'll witness, what you'll see, what you'll experience. Who knows what moment of inspiration will break open your heart, will soften your heart, will peel back the layers of your heart, will remove the shell of the heart. And now all that Torah that was put all the Torah that was placed on top will now seep in, it'll now come down, it'll now finally penetrate, it'll now finally be absorbed. So this is a critical message says to Kotz when it comes to the chinuch of our children. Don't give up! You'll say it's falling on deaf ears, what's the point? Why? Why am I singing this miros? And why am I sharing the Divrei Torah? And why am I communicating and transmitting these messages? They're falling on deaf ears. They're not being received. There isn't interest. The answer is, place it Al on the hearts of the people around us and continue to place it even on our own heart. Even when our own heart is closed and not open at this time, place it on our own heart, because who knows when that time will come when our heart will be open. Rav Hutner expanded on this kotzker and said, that's the Pshat the Pasuk. L'chu shimuli, go my children and listen to me. Shouldn't it be, ba'u come children listen to me. When you want to tell someone something, you don't say go over there, go yonder and listen to me. You say, come, come close and listen to me. So why is it, l'chu go and listen to me? Says Rav sometimes our children, sometimes the people around us, when they're very close, they don't hear. But we put the message on their heart. And then lechuvanim, They go to their year in Israel, they're gap year. They go off to summer camp for the summer. They go on a mission, they go on a trip, they go experience a yantif somewhere. And all the messages that we placed Avecha, all of the ideas and ideals that we put on their heart, something happens and a crack. They open up a little bit, and now the messages can come in. So therefore it's not always bo come close to here. Sometimes it's dafka lechuvanim. Sometimes you have to leave the nest. Sometimes you have to travel and go away in order to be able to hear. And that's the Pshat in the Pasuk here. My teachings drop like rain. We put the rain, we make a fertile soil, we try to make it a place that is able to receive, but ultimately it only comes from within the person when their heart is softened and when they are ready to receive, when they're ready to live. Perek Lamed Pasik Pasuk moving right along. Hatsur tamim pa'alo, ki chodurachav mishpat, kel emunah ve'ein avel, Tzaddik we refer to Hashem here as Hatsur, God is likened to a rock. We discussed this last year, we're not going to repeat the insights we said last year. You could always, of course, listen to all the Parsha Shiurim online from the previous years. Hatsur Tamim. The word Suur, rock, has only been used a couple times in all the Chumash until now, and now it's used five times in Parsha Sa'azinu. Hashem is a rock. Before Prudential, Hashem is our rock. He is our foundation. A rock is solid. You can lean upon. You can bank upon. You can, you can trust. You can confide. Hashem is a rock. Hatsur tamim. Chazal learn, of course, not Hatsur, but read it, Hatsayar. God is, Ein sur sayar God is the greatest artist. Look at His magnificent, beautiful world that He created. He is the greatest artist. So Hatsur tamim pa'lo, the rock perfect in His work. Kichodurachav mishpat. All of His paths are just. He is a kel emunah. He is a God of faith. Now, what does it mean God is faith? I thought we're the ones who have faith in Him. Why do we describe God as being the one with faith? So Rashi says, In other words, He is faithful. We can rely upon Him. He will follow through. He promised the righteous their reward in the world to come. And you could take that to the bank. He's a Kel Emuna. He's a faithful God. He's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. We can also say, Kel like we say at the end of Moda'ani. Moda'ani concludes, Rabbah Emunah secha. Great God is your Amuna. We've shared many times, what does it mean, great God is your Amuna? We're the ones who have faith in Him. In whom does Hashem have faith? And the answer is, you and me. If we woke up today, God has faith in us. He believes in us. We are not yet done with our mission. We yet have a difference to make in this world. We're capable and we're competent and we have a charge in this world. He's Kel Emuna. He has faith. Not only do we have faith in him, but he has faith in us. Ain Avel. God is without iniquity. He is tzaddik. He's righteous. The And he's fair. And Ravdruk is very bothered, as you and I should be as well. I understand the praise of Hashem in this beautiful poem called Hazinu. I understand the praise of Hashem, Hatsur Tamim Palo, that Hashem is called the rock, to say, You're my rock. I lean upon you, you're solid. You can take it to the bank. You are my rock, you're rock solid. That is in fact a praise of Hashem. I understand. But what kind of a praise is Ein Avel? He has no iniquity. Rashi writes Ein Avel. Even to the Rashoim. The Rashoim, the wicked, at least they get their, their uh, reward in this world. They are rewarded in this world mostly because it takes away from the world to come, where they truly will pit. That's what they'll pay the piper. That's where they will have to be the most accountable in that in that world to come. So what does it mean though? ain't Avel. In this pasuk we praise God that He's ain't Avel without iniquity. Says How peculiar? How bizarre? Kind of praises that to God. He doesn't do evil. He doesn't do iniquity. He doesn't make mistakes. He's God. He's omnipotent. He's infinite. He's perfect. So praise God in the positive. Why are we describing Him in the name avel As if we have a havamina? Did Does it ever rise in our minds? Did we ever consider for a moment that He does have avel? That He does have iniquity? And Rav Druk points out that David HaMelech said the same thing. We say on Shabbos, to say, that God is straight. Suri, he is my rock, and in him there is no iniquity, there are no mistakes. That's a praise of God that he doesn't have such a lowly, such a despicable quality of Ain That's a praise of God. God, you are so great. You're a rock, you're great, you're all powerful, you're all knowing, you're kind, you're compassionate, you're magnanimous, you're all those things, and you have no iniquity and no sin and make no mistake. What and we thought he did? So therefore it says Rav quotes from the Haleville Nagon the Gra. Some say this in the name of Ravi Sol Salanter, Benoikshibrahuke Medina so Ashofet Azai So Normally, a person comes before a judge, they violated the law, they made a mistake, they crossed a boundary, and when they appear before the judge, they are on their own. The judge looks solely, exclusively at their mistake, at what they did wrong. Now the truth is, a person comes before a judge in sentencing. So what happens? I myself have done this before, in the right context, for the right person, for the right reasons. One testifies at the sentencing of somebody. Even if they're guilty, they apologize, they're remorseful, they have regret, they promise and they pledge in the future not to repeat the mistake they've made. They have regret and remorse. And then those, if they're worthy, come and they testify on their behalf in the sentencing. And the family members come and the family say, It's true, my father, my mother made the mistake, crossed this boundary. But, Judge, I appeal to you. Judge, if you give them time in prison, you're not just hurting them, you're not just punishing them, you're hurting us, you're hurting me. A person's parents come and testify, We are frail and we are unable to take care of ourselves. If you put my son, my daughter in prison, there'll be nobody who can provide, nobody to protect, nobody to take care of me, you're not just hurting them, you're hurting me. The community comes and says this individual, they volunteer, they give, they do. And if you incarcerate them, you're not just hurting them, you're hurting us. The wife comes, the children come, the parents come, the friends come, and everyone pours out their heart before the judge and says, Judge, it's true they made a mistake. It's true they were wrong. It's true they should be accountable. But if you incarcerate, if you imprison, you're not only hurting them, you're hurting us. So what's the just thing in this situation? Does justice demand that you incarcerate, you imprison the individual anyway, even though there are secondary victims, so to say, even though there are consequences for people who didn't do anything wrong, or do you say that it's the judge's responsibility to exact justice means a more holistic and broader perspective on the situation? And therefore, true, the person has to be accountable, but the judge's sentencing responsibility is to hold them accountable in a way that doesn't also harm or punish other innocent people what is the just what is the correct thing to do here the correct thing to do here so mishpa so says the says Rav Juk, what happens he draws this out the friends those acquaintances everybody distant relatives everybody comes to the sentencing to make the same argument from the judge from the judge however says the judge, the challenge here is, there's no limiting principle. Says the judge, no matter what I do, if he has to pay a fine, that'll also hurt the family. If he has to be under house arrest, that'll also hurt the family. There's no limiting principle. You could argue, never punish, never hold accountable, because by definition, there will be other people who will suffer, who will struggle as a result. So the judge says, look, my job is not to look at the whole picture. My job is not to look at the secondary. This individual who violated the individual who made the mistake, the individual who crossed the line, they should have thought about the impact of their violating the law on their wife, on their parents, on their children, on their friends, on their community. That's not my job, says the judge. My job is justice vis-a-vis the perpetrator says Rav now we understand our Pasuk, because God as judge is an altogether different kind of judge. God is a rock. He is a judge of truth. But Tamim Pa'lo, He's pure. He's whole. And God is able to give a punishment that only And exclusively affects the perpetrator. Unlike a human judge who, whatever punishment they would exact, would by definition also have a secondary impact on others, the Ribonasham, the Almighty, is able to give a punishment, is able to give a consequence which only affects the perpetrator. And because God is committed to tamim, hatsur tamim pa'alo, He is tamim, He's pure, He's holy, He's righteous, He's just. If it will impact others, God will not exact that justice. And now we can understand, says Rav Juk, that's what the pasuk means. That's why this is a form of praise. Hatsur tamim pa'alo, He's whole, He's just, He's pure everything he sentences is entirely just el he is faithful and reliable and dependable there is no Avel even when he judges the perpetrator there is no Avel there is no consequence avel for anyone else so if a person dies, says Rav now we understand. If someone loses their fortune, if somebody suffers illness, if somebody, God forbid, dies, then the secondary experience of that loss, of that harm, of that injury, is something that the others deserved as well very difficult, we're not sitting in judgment ourselves, very difficult when we think about this in the real world application, but at least in principle, where Avjuk is saying is, since Hashem is tamim pa'alo, He's so pure, He's so whole, so therefore, He won't punish someone, and those who are undeserving are also punished, if someone experiences a punishment that impacts others, it's only because God has figured out this complicated matrix that the others are also deserving of something. And now we understand, that kedai is Says Rav Druk, now we understand the mishnah. Have a lot of friends. Why? Have a lot of friends, have a lot of that virtuous friends, because that will protect you. Because Hashem won't do something to you in a way that will harm them if they're undeserving of being injured or harmed or punished. And now we also understand, the Gemara in Shabbos says, Echem if one person is diagnosed with an illness, if one person, God forbid, dies, then the whole Chabura, that whole circle of friends, that whole community, should look in the mirror, should worry. The whole community should feel it is a punishment to them. And Rashi writes there on the Gemara, they also have to worry. Why? Maybe that person deserves to die, and they didn't. Why should they worry? It's painful. They'll grieve, suffering. They'll experience a loss. Why should they worry? So, based on this insight of the gra, we can understand. Because if that person died in a way that hurts the whole habura, it means the khabura themselves are unworthy in some way. Because if they were entirely worthy and didn't deserve that punishment, that pain, then it wouldn't have happened even to their friend. Because Akirish Shabachu is Tamim Palo because he's Ain Avel. Now we also understand the Gemara Bababasra based on this gra. Gemara Baba Basr, Zayin, says, Based on Apostolic and Mishle. If someone has a sick person in their home, they should go to a righteous Chacham, a scholar, and ask them to daven. Why? Why do you have to go to the home of a Chacham? Why can't anyone daven for the well-being of the sick individual? Why specifically do you have to pursue or find or chase the Chacham, can't anyone and everyone daven? But now we can understand in the context of the gra. When you ask the Chacham to daven for that sick person, now the Chacham has a relationship with the person for whom they davened. And therefore, God will not hurt the subject of the davening in a way that will harm or pain the Chacham who davened. So by getting a Chacham to daven for you, because the K-d would never hurt that Chacham as an extension of you if they were undeserving, therefore as a strategy, get a Chacham to daven for you. So it's a beautiful insight of the grah that unlike the human judge who says, there is no limiting principle, there's simply no way I can punish the person without it having an impact on their children, their parents, their spouse, their friends, their family, their community. But God can. And since God can, if it does have an impact on others, it's only because the others are deserving. If they are undeserving, God won't punish the person in that way. And therefore, based on that gra, now we understand have good friends, many friends. Now we understand if somebody did die and it hurt the other people, they should worry. That reveals that they, in many ways, are unworthy. And lastly, that's why you should go to the home of a Chacham, to Daven, because the hope is that the Chacham. And this connects to the Davening of Mosav, of, of, of Rosh Hashanah. There we say, Why are we talking about all of God's creations? Just like we're looking at all of creation what does God on Rosh Hashanah, what does He decide they deserve? Still, You don't just zero in and hone in on the one person for their judgment, but you look at the person's judgment, God, and your whole spreadsheet, your whole matrix. You look at the way that if you punish this person, what is the secondary impact on others? Hashem, you have a master spreadsheet, you have a master matrix, and everything about what you do is just. It all works out, even in its entire intersection. Okay, moving along. Periclamid base, Pasuk Zayin. Remember the days of old, understand the years of door, generation to generation, door to door. Ask your father, he'll relate, and your elders, the and they will tell you. Last year we focused on the first part of this Pasuk, Zuchor Olam. Which days are we meant to remember? We're meant to remember the days that we made mistakes, learn from them. We're meant to remember Sheshit Yimei Rashi says, Remember the early days. Remember the difficulty of the Jewish people when we were formed as a nation, how we misbehaved. Remember and don't repeat it. Others say, No, we are remembering the very creation of the world. And we're remembering, door-to-door, we have a responsibility to communicate, to transmit from one generation to the other. But for this year, we look at the second half of the Pasuk. Ask your father, and he will tell you. Some say this is the Mak'or, this is the Torah source for the significance of studying history. Why do we study history? Is there a Jewish value to study history? Rav Schwab Zatzal has an essay. Is there a Jewish concept to study history? You didn't see a lot of Jewish history books until fairly recently. Is there a value to history? So history is important the way it informs the here and now. Some reject history. Some say we have hagiography, not history, not biography. Our goal is not to accurately see the whole history, but rather, that's the essay of, of Schwab writes, is our job to tell the good, the bad, and the ugly? Do we tell the entire and total story of our history? Or do we extract the parts of our history in order to curate a curriculum to inspire us in modern times. Do we value the study of history? Is history bitol Torah? Is history a form of Torah? If I want to learn about I want to learn about the Tanaim and the Amoraim, the Rishonim and the Achronim, the righteous men and women of yesteryear. I want to learn about how we survived in God's guiding hand in our history. Is studying history a value and a virtue? Is it bitol Torah? Am I wasting, squandering time from Torah? Or is it something that's worthwhile to do? So some say this Pasuk is the Makar. Ask your father, he'll tell you. It's important to know our family narrative. Where do we come from and how did we get here? elders rulach. Shik in the Rav Chumash writes on this Pasuk, there are two methods of Torah transmission. One is theoretical halacha, a mode of argumentation and intellectual instruction transmitted from the Great Sanhedrin, the Beis Danagadol, in the form of the Torah Shabbat Peh, the Oral Law, and translated into everyday life. We study Shas, we study Gemara, we start with a Pasuk, we debate exactly what do we derive from the Pasuk, we learn a law, we debate how we apply the law. So we have the intellectual and the development, the evolution of Halacha transmitted from the Beis Agadol to the Sages of Klal Yisrael, the development of the Torah Shabbat. This method is described above. We mentioned it earlier. The second method may be designated as the practical transmission. It is entrusted to the lay people of the Jewish people. This latter method is based on this pasuk. So the first method is the is who are the authorities? Who are the authorities? Go back to Perak Zion. Perak Ches in Parsha Shoftim. Perak we have the intellectual, formal, legal transmission. What happens when you don't know the law? Come to Alisa makom You go to Yerushalayim. You go to the place of the Beis HaMikdash, you go to the place of the Sanhedrin Agadol. you go to the seat of authority, the legislative branch of the Jewish people, if you will, and you go learn the law. So the legislation of law, the adjudication of law, the interpretation, application of law, is empowered to the great Sanhedrin, the Supreme Sanhedrin in Yerushalayim. They are the ambassadors. This is not the development of the law, the intellectual part of law. This is the practical. Now, what do you do? Where do we learn how to live and what to do? And that, says our is our Pasuk. Mom, dad, mommy, abba, tati, mom, what do I do? How do I keep kosher? We watch what our parents do in the kitchen. How do I shake the lulav? What is the arminag when it comes to wearing a kittal on Rosh Hashanah? What do I do there? we ask our parent, not the Sanhedrin Nagado. The second mode of transmission is essential. The Beis Alevi was asked what he thought of the attempt that was made by Rav Gershon HaNachlein, the, R- the Radzina Rebbe, to restore the ritual of Tchelis for tzitzis. The Radzina claimed he had discovered the true Tchelis, and the Radzina tried to bring back Tchelis. And the Beis Alevi said that whatever evidence there may be for the Radzina Tchelis. It is not determinative in as much as it lacks the mesorah of, of ask your father, he'll tell you. The issue is not determined by logical argumentation, but by the tradition itself, by one generation following the actions of its forebears. How do you know what an esrog is? Ask your father. What's moror? We have a Masorah. Ask your father. So I know that Tzcheles is back, and we've discovered maybe a more accurate version And ironically, one of Rav Soloveitchik's, Tamidim of Mori Varabir of Shechter Shlita, is one of the biggest advocates and proponents of wearing tchelas. But the Rav did not accept tchelas because the Beis HaLevi, his great Zayda, said that the Radzinus tchelas, even if all the evidence in the world supported wearing it, we wouldn't because it's not part of our Masora. So from this Pesach, significantly we see not only the intellectual development and evolution of the Halacha, not the legislation origin or source of the halacha, but the importance of what we see in our home. What uh, Dr. Chaim Salavechik, the Rav's son, famously 25 years ago, wrote an essay for tradition about the method of when we, when we transitioned from learning what to do from what we see in our home to learning what to do from Svarim. The difference between the Mishnabur and the Aracha HaShulchan, the nomadic tradition of what we see in our home versus the textual tradition of what we learn from a Sefer, when did we give up on Shalavicha, the Yom Rilach, When did we give up on following them in hug them and defending the practices and the laws of based on what we see in our home? Okay, next. Paraklamidvez, pasuk Yud. Moving right along. Next page. Lamidvez Yud. Yimtzei'u be'aretz midbar uveso Yelal Yishimon Yisovavvenu Yivonu Neiu Yitzrenu ki ishon he discovered him in a desert, a desert land, in desolation. Who discovered whom? A howling wilderness. He encircled him, he granted him discernment, he preserved him the pupil of his eye. Who is he? What are we talking about? Hashem discovered the Jewish people's loyalty, says Rashi. What are we talking about? Says Rashi. Hashem found us to be faithful in the desert. We accepted Hashem's providence and dominion, specifically in the desert. Yishmol and Esav failed to do. In a very desolate, thirsty land. That's where we discovered Hashem. So who's the He? Who discovered whom? Hashem found that we discovered Him and we became faithful to Him, specifically in the desert, in a deserted land. That's where we followed him, followed him discovered him. Salavitchik has a beautiful, beautiful description. Let me read it to you. He writes, The creator seeks the creature, the spiritual personality. He knocks at the opening of the tent and whispers with a lover's passion. This is from the Pasuk in Shir Let me in, my sister, my darling. Hashem's search for God, sorry, man's search for Hashem expresses itself in intellectual activity. But when the seekers reach the boundary of reality, they become alarmed and retreat. When they confront eternity with its terrifying spaces that both attract and repel, both encourage and mock, they all cease their journey. Many become confused, many become frightened and uproot their faith. Here Hashem reveals Himself from above nature, from beyond the world, bound by time and space. This is the new Torah that was given at Sinai to slaves who had become free. So in other words, when, when is Hashem most accessible? When do we sco- discover Him most profoundly? When do we submit and surrender and Him? When do we believe in Him? When do we feel His presence? When we're on top of the world? When everything's amazing? when we've struck it rich, when everything is smooth sailing, or when we feel we are in a desert, all alone, barren, searching, yearning. Says this midbar. you know where we found to find him? We find him in the desert. When it seems as if man has ceased searching for God in a desolate wasteland, that's when Hashem reveals himself to man. He reveals himself to man in the desert, not in a settled, flourishing land, but in the plains of a great and terrible desert, a wasteland in the shadow of death, does God appear from among the holy myriads. This revelation is not a reply to man's questions and doubts, his visions and longings. The sight of God is not a response to human yearning. Hashem arrives suddenly. Man does not and cannot know when or where why. Hashem surprises man, who is not expecting salvation, and is not mad with longing or burdened with mystery of creation. The deity encounters flesh and blood individuals who are satisfied with the manifest and the superficial, who confine themselves to the pale, yellowing, desolate husk of existence, when the tempest is under control, when the desire to search has ended, when the heart is dulled and the soul frozen, the entire universe is dying in a deep nightmare sleep, then Hashem emerges from His isolation and secrecy and reveals Himself to man. Hashem reveals Himself to Adam when He has sunk in the deep mire of the original sin that had separated Him from His Creator. He was not expecting a revelation of the Shekhinah. When the Jewish people leave Egypt as slaves, the slaves the flesh pots and all the delicacies, who have not yet rid themselves of the filth of servitude, have not yet shaken the brisk dusk off their faces, and God reveals himself in the third month after Yitzhia's Mitzrayim. We make a mistake with the Chet Egel, the golden calf, we betray the husband of their youth, and Hashem comes down in a cloud from the heavenly plains. Hashem initially reveals himself to man at a time of growing evil in the world, and the splendor of life and vision of holiness-filled existence have departed. Hashem's words, first words to man, come at a time of historical and metaphysical desolation. Yim be'eretz midbar. Hashem finds us when there is a sense of wilderness specifically, not when we're on top of the world, but when we find ourselves on the bottom of it. That's where we search for Him, and that's where we find Him. And that is a similar sentiment. Revolba says, That's where Hashem finds us. That's when He circles around us. Pusik says, He discovered them in a desert land. God discovered us having faith with Him in a desert land, in a shrieking wilderness. He encircled them. And when we showed our faith in Him, He encircled us. And Revolba says, That's the holiday of Sukkos. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Ol Shemayim, Yim He finds us having faith in Him, and then Yisov Venu, He surrounds us with the Sukkah. When we sit in that Sukkah, He surrounds us with His love, with His protection. When? After Yim He finds us having faith in Him, and then He surrounds us, protects us, showers us with love afterwards. We had a lot more to say in Parshas hazinu but we are out of time. I know it's a service to and a lot to be done. Thank you for joining me on this special Partial perspectives during Asaras and We look forward to resuming, following the Yontif of Sukkos. Wishing everyone a Gemar Chasimatovah. Should be a good kedush year. Stay happy. Stay healthy. And stay holy.